In the time of inspiration, there is very prominently love and joy and these energized pleasant feelings, but also pain, frustration, nostalgia. This is Johanna Herbst and I welcome you to another episode of Reaching Your Goals. Reaching Your Goals is a career-focused podcast where I sit down with truly inspiring individuals and we dig deep on leadership and career-related topics to give you the insights to get one step closer to living a fulfilled professional life. We all have goals we want to reach, but it can be difficult to get from motion into action and we need those nuggets and those insights to help us moving. And that's why we are here. In case you wonder, depending on the day, I either were the head of a certified executive and career coach or a management consultant and I have an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. My mission is to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness and have some fun along the way. This week, we will get creative and find out how to use our emotions to leverage our creative journey. And I could not have thought about a better guest than Sovrana Ivcevic Pringle. Sovrana has a PhD and she is a senior research scientist at the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. She studies the role of emotion in creativity and well-being. Sovrana is the associate editor of the Creativity Research Journal. She has published research in personality psychology, creativity studies and organizational behavior journals. She has edited the Cambridge Handbook of Creativity and Emotion. Sovrana received the award for excellence in research from the Mensa Education and Research Foundation and the Berlin Award for Outstanding Early Career Achievement in Psychology of Aesthetics, Creativity and the Arts from the American Psychological Association. Sovrana is based in Portsmouth, New Hampshire in the US. Before we jump in, let me check in with you. Have you already rated the show in Spotify or in Apple Podcasts? In Apple Podcasts, you can even leave a review. And I love reading those. They put a smile on my face. So please make me smile. And while you're at it, could you also tell a friend about the show? Thank you. With that, let's finally jump in. Sarana, it's great to see you again. How are you feeling today? I am feeling very excited to talk to you and looking forward to talking about creativity and emotions. Thank you. And to get things started, I would like to get to know you a little bit more on a personal level. So I would like to jump in with rapid fire questions, short questions, short answers. Okay. <laughs> I know that creativity is one of your key focus areas. Do you have any creative hobby? My Creative outlet is science and writing. And I think that sometimes when people ask, you know, have creative hobbies, they think of the art. But one of my big things in research is creativity is not just art. So science and is my big thing. I know that you're also a speaker on topics, for example, of how to make creativity happen. Do you ever get stage fright? No. Well, I could have a stage fright the day before. Once it's happening, it's all fun. 
I know that you grew up in Croatia. Is there anything that you miss about living in Croatia or living in Europe? Well, I miss I miss people. I miss my friends, of course. And I miss just sitting in a cafe and not doing anything and sitting with someone and just being quiet and in the moment. And who is one of your role models? Oh, that's a beautiful question. Well, I think that some things come from personal life. My grandmother was the most important person in my life. And uh, she taught me just go for it. And she had this this idea of you are young once, so you should do everything. And young is very, very stretchy there. So you should just do everything that comes along. And that was my first and biggest role model. Wow. How would your friends and family describe you in one word? One word. Oh my, one word. <laughs> we can make it two. We can negotiate here. <laughs> I would say going for it. It's one term. As we are negotiating. Yeah. yeah. And do you still remember what you wanted to become when you were a little girl? <laughs> well, I wanted to be lots of things. When I was little, uh, I wanted to be a cashier in a grocery store. And that was about age four or five. And my reason was that that way I could give everything for free to my grandmother. Wow. <laughs> so... Joking aside, that, that is a true story, but joking aside, I wanted to be a psychologist for a long time. I wanted to be a historian, medieval historian, and I wanted to be an astrophysicist. And I, I believe that in parallel universes, I am each of those things. And because you're mentioning research, and I know you are a researcher, what is the coolest thing about that profession? <gasps> the coolest thing is asking questions. You can ask questions and then you can try to answer them. And in answering them, you get closer to the answer. One thing I think that is a misconception about research is that you get the final answer, but you get closer and closer to it. And then you can still discover more. What is the most important quality in a leader? Openness. I think openness and empathy are most important things in a leader. Willingness to listen, that comes with it, and to be authentic. What is the best advice you've been given in your personal or in your professional life? In my personal life, the best piece of advice is that you should go for things that you want. So that was your grandma? That was my grandma. And uh, I remember when I was in college and tried to try to juggle applications for graduate school and 10 more things. And there was a Rolling Stones concert. And she said, you are going regardless of anything. You have to go. Wow. And I did go. <laughs> and in my professional life, the best advice is to be open when you find something that is interesting, be willing to drop what you're doing otherwise and pursue it. And, and you are a researcher, you work for a prestigious university. I see books in your background. What is actually your favorite book or one of your favorites? It's very hard. That is an impossible question. I mean, you are asking, you are asking a scientist to be, 
to pick a book that is like asking a parent to pick a child. <laughs> um, I would I would say that one of the most inspirational books that I read, particularly on the topic of my research, is is a very old one from the mid seventies by Rolla May, and it the title is Courage to Create, and it mm-hmm. has been an inspiration to me in in my work ever since I discovered it as as a student. And with that, I think it's time to jump in and get to know you better. Would you mind sharing the key milestones that led you to where you are today? Well, that is that is a funny thing in how life happens, right? I remember being an undergraduate student and looking for a thesis topic. And I was interested in so many things. And I was reading very widely. And I came across a paper, a very old paper. I think this this being inspired by history is a big theme with me. And I came across this statement by a researcher in the first wave of creativity research in the U.S. in the 1960s, who said that creative people are in the same time more sane and more insane than the general population. And I did not know what that meant, but I knew that it did not make sense to me, but that it was fascinating and I wanted to learn about it. And uh, what I ended up doing was largely inspired by this, this one line, trying to understand it and trying to deepen the knowledge about it. And as I, as I went through graduate school, as I started my job, I looked for ways how you, I could study this apparent inconsistency or apparent paradox in creative individuals. And this is so intriguing because now you are focusing on creativity and on the emotions. So I understand how you got intrigued to learn more about the creative part. But how and when did the emotional part came in there? I I tend to be really inspired when I see an inconsistency in what we know and when I find something frustrating. And I was reading the, the literature on creativity and emotions and it did not make sense to me. So what what research on creativity and emotions look like for a very long time is it started with the question of what emotions or what moods are helpful for creativity and which moods or emotions are hurtful or harmful for creativity. And then what that would look like is that people would be brought into the lab, usually students who are not I don't want to say who are not creative, but who are not selected for something particularly creative they do. And then an emotional state would be induced because what scientists really like is control. And they really like to know where, where experiences come from. So to, to do that, these researchers would create a mood state in the lab. Uh, by having people listen to music or watch video clips or or think of personal experiences from the past. And then they would be given creative thinking tasks. 
And these tasks were designed so that nobody gets an advantage. So it doesn't require any prior knowledge and they are very neutral in nature. So a most typical task like that would be, well, think of all the possible uses for a brick. Shall we do it? Yeah, <laughs> go for it. So think of uses for a brick. What would you say brick could be used for? As a table, because I can put all my stuff there. Okay, table for miniature Lego people. Okay, go. Yeah, maybe a desk if I only put my, my phone on it. Mm -hmm. I can sit on it. It can be my chair. Okay, it will be a little bit hard, but okay. What else? <laughs> I can use it as a shelf and put my books there. I can use it as a plate and eat from it. Mm -hmm. I can stack plants on, to on top of it and maybe it looks pretty. I can use it if I really get mad and throw it at something. You could. And people mention any of those things. Actually, mm -hmm. people tend to start with getting mad and throwing it or oh. building something with it. So when we are thinking of ideas, we tend to start with, you know, those things that are more obvious, like building something yes. with, with a brick. But the thing with these kinds of tasks, and they can be fun. They can totally be fun. Like they, it was clear that you were playing there. Yes. But think of, do you really care about bricks? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't own a brick. Uh, there you go. You don't even own it, much less care about it. And so what these tasks, what is different about these tasks is that people don't have an interest in the subject matter. And in real life creativity, people tend to have an interest in what they are doing. I am very much interested in my research. Artists that I know and know of are passionate about their work. And entrepreneurs are obsessed with what they're doing. People care about the yes. object of their work. And also those, those emotion states that are induced in the lab are very different from real life ones. And in real life, when you are experiencing an emotion, there is an immediacy to it. When you are happy, you want to share it, like in the children's song. And you want to show it. When you are angry, you want to throw that brick, right? So, so there is an immediacy to emotions in real life. So these experimental situations did not seem to me to really reflect real life. And what turns mm -hmm. out that very reliably, this way of doing research in the laboratory shows us that being in more positive, energized states of kind of happiness, people are better able to come up with more ideas and more original ideas on these very short tasks like you know, thinking of uses for a brick. And then people take it the next step and say positive moods are good for creativity. But you are making a gross generalization there. Ah, because this was only like for those five-minute exercises. It was actually nothing you really cared about. So coming to jumping to that conclusion is like a big jump. It's quite a big jump. And it turns out it's not even five minutes. It's four minutes. If you, give people, <laughs> if you give people more than four minutes to work on a task, this benefit of positive energized moods goes away. <laughs> so it is just on these very quick bursts. And, you know, sometimes in real life, 
we really do think of creative ideas in big bursts. It could be a brainstorming session at work. It could be in the classroom, teachers asking students for something very quickly. So there are real-life situations when we are going in bursts. So creativity includes the brainstorming, but if you go one step back, how would you define creativity? That is a great question, and it turns out that people always go, oh, it's very hard to define. We cannot define creativity, but we can. And creativity is something, and I purposefully use that vague term, that is in the same time original or novel in some way, and that can be a continuum, and also appropriate for the task or effective for what we want to accomplish. So it's not just original because it's bizarre. It is both original and there is an element of quality of effectiveness about it. And when I said it is something, because it can be all kinds of things, it can be a new design, it can be a new idea, it can be a new product, it can be a new process, it can be a new performance, uh, it can be lots of different things, and all those are genuinely part of the this big idea that creativity is. Is what you said in the beginning, that people often link creativity with a Van Gogh or a Miro, but it's much, much broader. We find the creativity in most professions. Yes, indeed. Creativity is not just being artistic. And in fact, oftentimes when I speak about creativity, I get a question or a comment that, oh, well, that's fascinating what you are doing, but unfortunately, I'm not creative. I am not really artistic. And that's fine. You do not have to be artistic. You can be creative in many, many different ways. You can be thinking of new products. You can be thinking of new enterprises. You can be developing them. I have a lot of friends who are engineers and everybody in my family yes. is an engineer and they don't tend to use the word creativity, although a lot what they are doing is really, truly creative. And, and how does it link to innovation? Because the moment you say engineering, I'm thinking about innovation. Like that's how I connect. I get that they are creative, but I think about innovation. I think this is a great question. There is, in different branches of creativity studies, people define creativity and innovation in different ways. So in the organizational behavior studies, there seems to be this dichotomy of creativity being the thinking part and coming up with ideas or developing them and innovation being implementing them and building something. I do not find this distinction really meaningful because mm -hmm. creativity without doing something with ideas stays really in the domain of imagination or fantasy. And if we take this distinction between creativity and innovation, then it would only really apply to some areas of work, right? To to business or to engineering, perhaps. But how would you apply this to the arts, for instance? We all agree that the arts are creative, but we don't tend to use the term innovation in the arts as much. So how would that really work? I think if we use the term creativity 
to describe the whole process from considering ideas, developing them and doing something with them. We have one term that then applies to the whole process and to all areas where creativity can exist. Wow. Then we also have emotions there. I will also come up with a question. What is actually emotion? It turns out that that is a really complicated question. And chances are, if you ask 10 emotion researchers to give you a definition, you would get, well, close to 10 different definitions. In thinking of emotion science, it is so fundamental to psychology and to understanding human experience that it would seem it would be one of the first things to be answered about who we are as as humans. But emotion science is relatively, relatively young, some 40 years from the from the founding of the International Society for the Study of Emotions. And um, emotions are best defined as both psychological and physiological experiences that are triggered by something. And that something can be an event from the outside. Something happens in our environment. We are chased by a bear. I don't know why why we tend to use the example of being chased by the bear, but we tend to use it and I think that's funny. So let's be chased by a bear. And oftentimes it is something internal. It is anticipating. You were asking about stage fright earlier. Stage fright is internal. Nothing has happened to you. Or those doubts, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. And you know, you are. It, (laughs) It is imaginings. We are anticipating. We are imagining. We are projecting something into the future. So those are our internal triggers. And the... Many of triggers of emotions are internal. And think of those things that are most troubling to people. Oftentimes they are internal in nature. Think of anxiety. Nothing has necessarily happened already. You are worrying about something that might happen and you don't even know what's the chance of it happening. And oftentimes the chance is low of it happening. And I'm not saying that any of us are immune to it. We are not. It is part of human experience. The the matter is, how do we deal with these human experiences? How do we learn about them to know and recognize what's happening? How do we describe it? How do we process it? And then how do we manage it? Now that we have the emotions and understand also what creativity is, how do those two play together? They are very much interrelated. I am interested in studying what emotions happen throughout the creative process. From facing a blank screen, (laughs) I am right now writing a book. And let me tell you, there are a lot of blank screens Next things are inherently scary. They are going to be scary to pretty much everyone. (laughs) They are anxiety provoking. You have to start from zero. So there's this element of anxiety that happens. There is an element of doubt that happens. There is frustration because the process, creative process is never smooth. And when 
we experience constraints, when we experience doubts, when we have creative block, perhaps. Frustration is number one thing that, that happens. And then sometimes we are misinterpreting this frustration as a sign that, like, like you said, we are not good enough, that this is the problem with us, when really it's the integral part of the creative process. Now we have to figure out what to do when these things happen. But we also have to learn what to do when things are going well, because we think, we tend to think in our, in our bias against these so-called negative emotions or unpleasant emotions, that they are to be avoided, but they can teach us things and they can actually help the process too. So what does frustration teach me? Frustration teaches you that something is not right. It teaches you that you have hit the wall and now you have, you have choices. Okay, you know that you have hit the wall. You can try to do more of the same, work harder. In other words, people oftentimes try to work harder. And to stay with the analogy of the wall or with a picture of the wall, working harder while doing the same means hitting your head into the wall. <laughs> That is not good for your head. <laughs> and chances are the wall wins. <laughs> yes. When you are experiencing frustration, you are also tempted to avoid it or make yourself feel better. But maybe you are not learning what you need to learn. Maybe you are not listening to what the frustration is telling you. And it is usually telling you you need to do something differently. And that doing something differently can be doing something differently in the moment, taking a break, so not to keep hitting into the wall, or try to find a different approach, try to find a different perspective, because something is not working. Does it mean that emotion is taking me along my creative journey of thinking about something, creating something. And if I have the awareness and the self-reflection to understand what is the emotion I'm feeling, I can use that as a compass to let me guide through the originating process. Exactly. Emotions can be guides. Emotions can fuel the process and they are pieces of information along the process. And when we think of decision-making, We know that we base decisions on information and we want to have more information to better inform our decisions. Well, a creative process is a lot of decision-making. You're making decisions about what you're going to do and how and when and where, and emotions can tell you something about it to make it more effective and to guide you through the process. To give you an example, there are a lot of pieces of advice out there on this is specific to writing, but it does not, lots of creativity involves some level of writing and it's not specific to it. There are lots of advice columns or, you know, hacks for, for creativity that say, write first thing in the morning, get up early in the morning when it is quiet uh, and uh, 
you know what? If I try to follow that piece of information, I would not do anything. You will be tired? Because I'm not functional in the morning. <laughs> I do not feel alive in the morning. My brain is not kicking in. And uh, there is this stereotype of a mid-afternoon slump around two or three in the morning. It hits 3 p.m. and I am fully energized. Ideas are flowing and I can do things. I can do it well. I can move stuff around, see how, how it fits. I can very effectively write. So we have to know ourselves. We have to know at what times and in what circumstances we are experiencing different things that could be conducive for, for different tasks. And in the morning, I am, I am quite grumpy, okay? This is, this is <laughs> but I am grumpy. And some people are grumpy before, before coffee. Even after I have coffee, I'm grumpy if it is before 10 a.m. But it turns out being grumpy is good for some kinds of tasks that are necessary in the creative process. When you are grumpy, you see everything that is wrong with something. And well, if I am first thing in the morning and I look over what I have written or what I have devised day before, in my generative stage, I can be critical about it. I can notice what needs to be changed, what needs to be edited, revised, what needs to be scrapped and thrown away. Uh, and without doing that, we are not really achieving something creative. There is never a thing of you are just generating and then that's it. Oh, that's perfect. So that also means if I have to finish up a presentation or something, I should leave it like whenever I know this is my crumpy hour during the day, that's when I should do it. Exactly. Exactly. And it's going to be different for different people. It is a matter of being reflective and, and realizing that different emotions are really helpful for different kinds of more limited tasks. What is a positive emotion that is helpful to drive creativity? There is no answer to that because there isn't just one thing that creativity is. Creativity is coming up with ideas. And if you want to quickly come up with ideas, positive, energized emotions are helpful. But creativity is also doing something with those ideas. And doing something with those ideas means being critical about what you have generated. Being grumpy or pessimistic mm. or critical is help helpful for that. So it depends what you are doing and creativity is all of it together. One thing I was wondering, I read a number of times that, say, the average person doesn't have the connection to his or her own feelings and just describes them as happy, sad, angry. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have, say, the emotional vocabulary to really say, oh, I'm frustrated, I feel anxious, I'm doubtful, can you still leverage, say, your feeling to drive your creative process? Mm -hmm. You could, But the matter is how. And you are completely right that people are not well equipped to be reflective and have awareness of their emotional lives. And we tend to overgeneralize. 
So when you ask people how they are doing, I live in the United States, the most frequent answers, I am busy or I'm stressed or I am fine or happy. So you get this very general description, which is not really descriptive. <laughs> in, in terms of emotion science, what we need to achieve for it to really be able to fuel our creative process is emotional granularity. And what that means is building our emotion vocabulary, building the awareness of what are our internal or external triggers that that generate different kinds of feelings. Frustration is different than irritation. It's different than anger. Being amused is different from feeling happy or joyful or elated. Uh, and we can go on in different emotion families like that. And we need to build that awareness. And the good thing is that after decades of emotion science research, we know how to do that. It is possible to build these skills and we have very good evidence that it's possible to build these skills through social and emotional learning programs with children and also with adults in the workplace. We can do this. We have the tools to do it. There are things that individuals can do themselves. You don't have to be enrolled in a program or take a course. And we have created an app available for, for iPhones and for, for Android called How We Feel. And this app does exactly this awareness building. It asks you at different times during the day, how are you feeling right now? And uh, it doesn't ask the question and then leave you to your own devices because yeah. you don't know where to start oftentimes. But it says, okay, let's break it down. Let's consider things that you can identify. And you can tell whether you're feeling pleasant or not pleasant and how pleasant yes. or unpleasant you're feeling. And you can also tell whether you are feeling more activated in your body, kind of physiologically activated, or more calm and subdued. Those things you can tell. Now, when you tell those things, you can be guided into different groups of feelings. And as you are guided into different groups of feelings, we give you lots of choices. In the app, we have built in 144 different feelings. So you're going beyond being stressed and fine and happy or angry. You now have options to identify nuances. And your reactions, what are the best reactions, will depend on the nuances. That means I should first work on growing my own self-awareness to understand what are the emotions I'm feeling because only then I can start leveraging that to guide me. Exactly. And in that creative process, say you mentioned before, maybe there's some anxiety, there's some doubt, there's frustration, probably there's also overexcitement or the positive ones. How do they happen in the process? Is it like something subconscious or where is all this emotion coming from that it can actually guide me? Well, they happen in different ways because creativity is never simple. And there are always problems that arise. First of all, we have found that there is luck happening emotionally. 
it is a very, very rich picture. So it is not one kind of emotion. It is many different kinds of emotions. In the time of inspiration, there is very prominently love and joy. And these energize pleasant feelings, but also pain, frustration, nostalgia. Nostalgia is a complex feeling that brings together some fondness, which is pleasant and liking, but also some sadness because something is gone or not reachable. So we see the richness there. And then we see a little bit of a different picture in that daily work. Now you have to do something about it. Okay, what is there that happens? Well, there we are seeing enjoyment and happiness of creation, but we also see the frustration because we don't always have all the tools that we want. We don't always have all the resources that we want. We cannot always express everything we want or make it work in whatever making work means in your particular area. And the frustration is as prominent as this enjoyment. And frustration can be informative. It can tell you to take different routes and to just yes. what you're doing. And what I always think is like you're also frustrated because something matters to you. Yes, that mattering is, is part enjoyment, part care, part maybe you are contributing to something outside of yourself. You are helping somebody. Helping and assisting others is a very prominent motivation for creativity. You want to solve problems to make people's lives better or solve problems that are plaguing society. And that's why frustration happens too. You want, to, you want it to happen sooner and quicker and better. So all of these things happen in the, in the making part of the creative process. And what I'm hearing there is also that there's a question of what you want to create. And it sounds like you're also linking it to purpose, like for this helping, creating something that there's a link and the stronger it is, I guess, the more it can propel you and maybe the stronger the emotions will be because there's hunger and you really want something. Yes, yes. There is hunger in creativity that can come from various places. There is there's this motivation that in psychology we call intrinsic motivation. And it is doing something, engaging in something because you are deeply interested in it, because you are curious about it, you enjoy it. And because it's a challenge and you want to solve challenges, you want to address challenges. There are also more extrinsic reasons why people may be hungry to do something. And sometimes extrinsic reasons might get a bad rap because you are not doing it just for the sake of doing it. But you might be doing it for very altruistic extrinsic reasons. You want to help solve a problem outside in the world. You want to help somebody. There were these wonderful studies of the role of perspective taking and 
motivation for helping others and how it helps creative problem solving or studies of how sympathy for others can help you think of issues from from a different angle that would not have occurred to you before and therefore be more original and more effective in what you're doing. And this is also going back to the quality in leaders when you said openness is needed. Exactly, exactly. And that openness is, uh, openness in leaders is creating a possibility of listening and truly hearing. Because sometimes as leaders, people are tempted to just focus on the problem. And just focusing on the problem sounds very reasonable in a, in a way because you are solving, you are moving, but you cannot really focus on the problem effectively if you do not understand what is going on with people who are working on the problems, how they are experiencing the work, and what is the experience that you are trying to address with this uh, product or with this process. You really have to be open to see opportunities and to see problems, which are oftentimes then opportunities. Nice. And I already learned that if you want to proofread something, do it when you are grumpy. If you want to generate ideas, do it when you are in a happy mood. Listen to your emotions to help you guide through the process. If you're frustrated, probably you want to do something different. And to get started, use the app, how we feel that you created at the Yale Research Center. Is there any other last advice for our audience on how they can leverage emotions to drive creativity? Emotions are information. Emotions are telling us something. They are diagnostic of what is going on within ourselves and within our environment. We need to listen to them and not ignore them. We cannot leave emotions at the doorstep. There is this, this very outdated idea of professionalism, meaning not, uh, not acknowledging that emotions exist. Yes. It turns out emotions leak. That is actually a technical term uh, in, in emotion science. Even when we try to suppress them, they come out. And if they come out in that way, they can come out explosively and in unhelpful ways. So we can listen to them and learn from them in order to harness them for more effectiveness, more originality, and more creativity. Thank you for sharing. And I only have a few questions left. First, what is coming up next for you? I already heard there's a book in the making. There is a book in the making. The book is not imminently out, but it is in the making. And uh, I have just published uh, a major handbook on creativity and emotions, which is really summarizing the last 40 years of research on this topic from different perspectives, from education, from psychology, from organizational behavior and leadership studies, and telling us, okay, where have we been and where are we going? 
and uh, I write about this research uh, in a column for Psychology Today and love to translate research, and which is oftentimes technical, into ways that can be used and can be insights for those who want to be more creative. Nice. I will share the links in the show notes so that people can go and read your column. Thank you very much. Two more questions. Who else should I have on this show? Well, number one person who comes to mind is James Kaufman. James Kaufman is... A professor at University of Connecticut, and he is a very focal figure in creativity research. He has collaborated with just about anybody in creativity studies. He has been a leader for for quarter century in the field, and he has a lot to say in particular about the relationship between creativity and well-being. I will ask you for the introduction afterwards. And as promised, very, very last question for everybody who feels intrigued. They should sign up for your column or at least, I mean, I don't know if you can sign up for it, but check that one out. How else can people stay in touch with you? I can share my my website and there is a way to stay in touch and sign up for a newsletter. And uh, I am just starting a new thing with the newsletter That will include, well, I'm writing a book. What is that about? <laughs> What is that creative process like? And it is, it is acknowledging that it is not linear and that this week was great, but next week we'll see. I love it. But it's true. It would be so, so, so interesting to learn from a researcher on the topic how she's going through this creative endeavor of writing a book thank you so i look forward to it i know it will still take time so we need to stay in touch and i thank you so much for joining me today this was absolutely interesting and i learned a lot thank you thank you very much for having me I love the conversation with Sovrana and I really, really learned a lot. I hope you did as well. If you want to talk about it, please tag me at Delegate or Reaching Your Goals podcast. And since you're still listening, in case you have not yet subscribed to the show, please do so wherever you listen to your podcast. This way, you will get the next episode in your inbox when it drops on Tuesday. With that, we're done for today. We are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you guys next week. Bye.